Hello, and welcome to Ethical Seduction, your sex and relationship podcast. We explore topics and skills designed to help you get what you want, both in and out of the bedroom. On today's show, we're going to be covering topics of polyamory, monogamy, open relationship styles, you know, all the easy things that everybody mm-hmm. loves. Ava's going to walk us through a lot of these things because Ava cares a lot about relationships and the different styles. We're going to talk about different like, conflicts that might come up solutions, different things you can work through them. Um, definitely not a one size fits all when it comes to relationships. And my opinion is you usually you're crafting your own. So I think as you listen through this, try to get ideas, try to figure out what stuff applies that you want to use and incorporate and maybe the other stuff, just let it go. Cause it's not your style. Um, tonight I'm Steven, your host, and I have Ava's with me. What's up cool cats and Brandy. Hey, and Kimberly, my wife. Hello. All right. Favorite question. What have you guys done that is interesting and fun this week? So I put on some kind of lingerie and cooked dinner. <gasps> oh. Ooh. What do you mean kind of lingerie? Well, you know those like thigh high socks that are yeah. popular like that so i had that and i had like cute panties did and, they like, stay up yeah how did they stay, stay up? up i tried to take them down. i have that problem every that's time they pro- never say yeah that's me. a good problem though steven if you're like i'm just trying to take them down and they're staying up but yeah i'm the same way they won't stay up they they go down a little but not too much to where it's terrible okay, okay. what'd you cook i'm not- I love that this, no, we're not talking about the cooking. I love like, you know, Hey, what did everybody do this week? And it's always like something sexy that somebody comes up. No, we don't need cooking, but cooking also comes up too. I want to hear about the cooking. Fine. She cooked. What did I cook that night? I I cooked more than once that this week. I don't know what it was. Well, apparently the, the meal wasn't memorable, was, but the the knee high socks were so it, it works out. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the dessert was memorable. How about that? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, Ava, anything you guys? Anything interesting? No, I just worked a ton. You know, I made enchiladas yesterday for the first time ever, and they were fucking amazing. And also, uh, I bought six new plants. Instagram. And yeah. What? Also, I bought six new plants because oh. I have this obsession with plants right now. And I just, I want all of them because they're so pretty. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we went to the farmer's market, so. Nice. Well, and they had plants. Like they didn't they have any lots. vegetables, anything, but they had plants. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Ava, do you want to go ahead and get us started on relationships? Attraction, yeah. Monogamy, non-monogamy, open relationships, poly relationships. Everything relationships. Oh, that's that's a lot, Stephen. I don't know if I'm prepared for all of that. I'm I'm a little scared right now. Queer relationship. <laughs> Bi relationships. <laughs> I can't even gender fluid, non-binary relationships. Self love relationships. Does that count? <laughs> love hate relationships. Yeah. Right. I uh, I'll see how many of these I can tackle tonight, but I make no promises. <laughs> Um, Yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. So let's talk about relationships. The first question, I always try to start with like the most obvious question possible. Like let's start at at the top of the category and just like work our way down. So my first question is, what is a relationship? 
Uh, does anybody want to want to answer that question for me? Or I can read the definition that I have written out if you want. <laughs> I do. Let's I do it. Okay, because I have an opinion on this, and this may not be the textbook opinion, but I, I feel like you have a relationship with everybody you kind of interact with, right? So it could be a friend relationship. It could be a business, you know, acquaintance relationship. But every, you know, I met this person at the grocery store relationship. It, it's not necessarily just romantic relationship, which is, I think is the way most people think and feel about it. But it's like you're, so a lot of the skills we talk about apply to just everyday, regular life when you meet somebody at the grocery store and you say, yes, you may go ahead and cut in line in front of me, stuff like that. So I just feel like it's the relationship is really just almost a term of how the two people or more are interacting. That's that's what I tend to think of it as. It's like you're reading off of my script or something, Stephen. Wow. I'm not. <laughs> Kimberly, Randy, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, just what he said no. sounded good. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Love it. Yeah, no, that's that's High pretty score. good. Like, a plus. Yep. Gold gold star for Steven. Um, yeah. So a relationship is literally, you know, any any person you have had any interaction with ever, be that your spouse, your boss, your neighbor, the stranger you made eye contact with the with uh, at the grocery store last week. Like literally, I have that mm -hmm. example written down. Thank you for stealing my example without knowing it, Stephen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So like these are all examples of relationships with varying degrees of like chemistry, purpose, um, commitment, things like that. And you know, some relationships may have a lot of chemistry or purpose or commitment and others may have next to none or not at all but they're all different types of relationships um let me see here for the purpose of today's conversation we are going to focus specifically on sexual and romantic relationships because like Stephen pointed out they're not not all relationships are designed to be romantic right like I'm not um in love with like my coworkers or my teammates and things like that um so we want to focus specifically on like the sexual and romantic ones today. And then I also want to point out that there's a difference between a romantic relationship and a sexual relationship. And now that I've said that out loud, I'm like, well, duh, that sounds so obvious. But like the fact is like a lot of people don't really see them as two separate things. Um, many people feel that they're very much hand in hand, like you don't really have one without the other. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, there are definitely relationships out there that have more sexual chemistry than romantic or vice versa, or may not have any of one or the other. Um, so like for example, um, like what I'm thinking of is like, have you ever say hooked up with someone or even wanted to hook up with someone, but you really had no interest in like taking them home to meet your parents or getting married or planning a future together. Um, and then like the flip side of the coin would be like, have you ever felt like a really strong, comforting, romantic, secure relationship with someone? but either your sexual chemistry with them kind of died out a long time ago, or was just, there was never just much sexual chemistry in the first place. Um, like these, these things are real. They don't necessarily have to go hand in hand. They're very separate uh, for certain people in certain types of relationships. Um, question that I wanted to ask to the group, uh, do y'all have any, or ever have you had any uh, romantic relationships that were not sexual or vice versa? Well, I've had sexual relationships that weren't romantic. Awesome. Okay, cool. I'm not a crazy person. It's a thing. It exists. It's not just a theory. Awesome. <laughs> the other thing I want to point out is that attraction is also fluid. It can change over time with our moods, uh, depending on our needs, how we see or view the other person. Um, how your relationship starts may not be how it stays. It may go back and forth or it may migrate from one to the other. Um, it's It's very much fluid. Like it doesn't have to stay the same. I mean, there's there's one constant in life and that's change, right? And that absolutely applies to your relationships and to you as a human being. So naturally your attraction to someone may also be fluid. 
Um, I wanted to share an example of what that might look like because I think my current long-term partner, we've been together almost four years. Um, I think that's a really, really good example. So I just thought I would, you know, share a little bit of, of that piece of my, my world with the universe. Um, so my current partner, again, of almost four years, when I initially met him, he had recently opened up his marriage with his wife and I had recently moved to Nashville and I was kind of, you know, on Ava's adventure, like not looking for anything serious. Um, and the next thing I know, like I meet this super, super handsome ginger with this, like just big, long, like really like long, just delicious, super thick beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was white now. I was on <laughs> <laughs> um, Randy's all flustered. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so so we met, we connected, and and sexy adventures ensued, and we had a really really great time. Um, in actuality, like his his beard wasn't super super long or big at the time, like he had one, but he started growing it out after the pandemic hit last year. Um, that's when it got got long enough that like I could braid it, or I could like put it in a ponytail, or I could like flat iron it and straighten it out. It was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but like eventually, over time, over the next few years, like eventually, I tell him that that I love him. Like I, those feelings, those romantic feelings, really develop when they weren't there initially. And then you fast forward down the line, and he says that he loves me. And then you fast forward down the line, and then I move in with him and his wife and and his daughter, and and we're like this one big like poly family, right? Um, and so all that to say that, you know, we still have a lot of sexual chemistry, like that's still there. Um, but the romantic chemistry that we experience is now is a lot more prominent than it, it was on day one, like it didn't exist on day one. And so it's just a really good example of how, how things shift and change over time and how everything about life, including chemistry is super fluid. That so much of your story just reminds me of Kimberly and I, cause it's like, we were just kind of getting together as friends and we, you know, we met and we, we, uh, Got together for dinner and kind of talked about like you know what do we want to do together you know do we want how do we want to play and things like that but then you know we were never going to like really date or anything like that and then it just kind of slid into that over time so be careful who you play with because you might end up married <laughs> <laughs> because you always say no kimberly was interested in 30 day guy <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to, you don't have to talk about thirty day guy. Thirty day guy. I mean, I'm not jealous. I'm just saying, like, we we don't have to talk about thirty day guy. Um, I'm gonna turn thirty day guy into a hashtag, and we're gonna reference thirty day guy all the time. Oh, <laughs> 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 it's called humiliation. Like, who? What? <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so I, I want to move on and talk about like actual like relationship style. So the one last thing that I want to say about um, sexual attraction versus romantic attraction is that if this is a new concept for you, if you're listening to this and hearing this for the first time, and you're like, oh, like I never thought about these two things separately before. My recommendation would be go to genderbread.org and learn about the genderbred person. Um, the genderbred person teaches a lot of different a lot of different concepts, but one of them is kind of the difference between sexual attraction and romantic attraction. So if you'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that topic, I recommend, again, genderbread.org and just going and checking out what that site has to offer and, and filling your mind with magical amazingness. Okay, with that out of the way, let's launch, launch into some relationship style conversation. Um, the first one I want to tackle is probably the easiest. What is monogamy? Brandy, when I say monogamy, what do you think? Well, when you said what was the easiest and then you said monogamy, my face just twisted. I'm like, that is not easy for me. So um, I'm going to say monogamy is between two individuals in a closed relationship. 
Excellent. Yes. So one relationship at a time, one relationship with one person at any one given point in time. Um, so many people are taught that monogamy is the only way, that there are no other options. This is just how life is. This is just a fact of life. And that's kind it's, of why it's the best I, way. Right. Yeah. The best way or the only way or whatever the only and, way. Yeah. The most the normal way. way. Uh, normal, way. What does that mean? Correct. <laughs> so, I mean, many of us never consider. Many what? of us never consider that there is another way or a better fit, depending on you know what your needs are or what your personality is or your passions or your interests. Like, we have options. I mean, we're, we're human beings. There are always options. We like we like variety and we like to have options. And you know what? We have options when it comes to our relationship styles. So, if you are someone that has only ever practiced monogamy or has never heard of anything aside from monogamy, um, please let me let me show you the world. <laughs> Um, hey, so, Ava, can, yes. can I add something real fast? Okay. Oh, I suppose. Um, animal species, okay? Most, mm -hmm. monogamy is really rare in animals. It just does not happen very much, okay? So we tend to be taught like, oh, it's all, you see it all the time, okay? And there are some birds, I want to say like the albatross maybe, that is monogamous where they end up having like one partner and that's, that's it. They mate for life and that partner is it. But most of the time it's either, and I think a lot of times people kind of fall in this category where it's like we do serial monogamy where it's like we have a partner mm -hmm. and then we you know leave them and we get together with another partner and we leave them and get together another partner but technically that's not monogamy there's I, and i don't remember what the scientific term for it is but that's that's not scientists wouldn't say that's not monogamy monogamy is the one and one partner and that's and that's it and oh. so like, we don't fit in that and the other thing is like cheating would not fit in with the monogamy as a species and things like that. So the fact that we have so much cheating kind of implies like we're like 99% of the other animals out there, you know, we really are not monogamous. Right. Naturally. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. It's just, mm -hmm. it, and it just doesn't happen very much in, in nature. And I think part of that is because it's like kind of high risk. If you just have one partner and that's all you're going to be like sharing your genes with, it's like, that's high risk. And you know, you're, you're better off if you have multiple partners, there's more chance of your genes getting passed on. Um, so you're talking about high risk from like a procreation standpoint. Uh, yeah. Like evolution. Like if your genes are going to die out, you know, and so your genes are there, like, cause, cause in some ways your genes are written to sort of push you to, um, not necessarily to procreate, but to pass on the genes. So therefore it's like, you know, if you have sex and mate with several different other people over like a lifespan, that animal species, whatever, maybe is going to do better than say the albatross where they just have one partner for the rest of their life. Now the albatross, that's still going to, there's going to be um, evolutionary pressure on why they do it their particular way. But my point, and I didn't mean to interrupt everything, but my point is just like, it just doesn't happen very much in nature. And I think that's really interesting and kind of eye opening once you, once you know that. Steven, that just makes me think that like the whole concept of sex is like really, really competitive from like a species standpoint. Like, yeah, we need to fuck all the people and make all the babies because we're going to be the strongest and we're going to survive and take over the world. Well, <laughs> that can be, you know, we could totally do a different episode on that and really kind of, you know, dive deep. But there is like, I don't want to say it's like you're not necessarily trying to beat everybody out, but there is like you do have pressure, you know, to to mate and have sex. I mean, you, you, your body doesn't tell you like, I want to go have a baby. Your body tells you, I want to go fuck that person and have sex. And so there's like the dry, like they're really kind of split into two. You know, you're not usually like, oh my God, I really want to have that person's baby. You don't think that way. It's like you're horny and you're motivated for sex. And so your body is wired and it drives you towards that connection and that feeling 
the fact that you get pregnant and have kids later on is almost like a separate thing that <laughs> happens over time. But the drive, the evolutionary drive is more convincing when they're like, we don't have to talk about the babies. Let's just go get laid. <laughs> hmm. That's awesome. And very educational. Thank you. I appreciate the interruption. Um, let's see here. Where were we? Oh, we were talking about monogamy. And then the flip side of monogamy would be drumroll, non-monogamy, big surprise. Um, <laughs> so, so the whole concept of non-monogamy is, is not to have only one partner, right? You have multiple relationships ongoing throughout your life. Um, and I want to kind of classify, let's break down non-monogamy into two categories. There is ethical non-monogamy and there is unethical non-monogamy. Um, Kimberly, I would love to pick on you for a second, if you don't mind. When I say unethical non-monogamy, what comes to mind? Cheating. Yeah, bingo. Um, so why is cheating unethical? Well, because you said, hey, I'm going to be monogamous. And then you're going behind somebody's back and being non-monogamous. Yeah. Lies and deceit and deception and trickery and all that stuff. Yeah. Which you uh, yeah. like. We don't like being treated that way. No, we don't. Nobody likes Great that. Trust. Um, yeah. So, I mean, cheating is unethical just because it, it keeps at least one person in the dark. And, you know, <laughs> whether the the third person or the additional person that's being brought in that is the, per, the person you were cheating with, like if it's sex one time or if it's an ongoing sexual relationship, if it's an ongoing like emotional or romantic relationship, it, it doesn't matter. It's still cheating and it's still unethical because you're keeping somebody in the dark and they're not able to consent to what's going on because because you're lying to them because you're omitting you know omitting facts that are really important and maybe they would made different decisions about their relationship with you if they had known the whole picture um so yeah uh, i think we can all agree like cheating isn't cool please don't do it if you are in a relationship and experiencing feelings or urges for someone else that you want to act on or even if you don't want to act on, if you're just having those feelings, um, that's definitely something that you want to bring up with your partner and bring out into the open rather than sweeping it under the rug. Um, I know we talked in a recent episode uh, a few weeks ago, it was the dealing with rejection and shame in the bedroom episode, talking about how to ask for like what you want and how to like mitigate your risk for rejection or how to deal with rejection like if it comes. Um, so if any listeners haven't haven't listened to that episode yet and you're like oh yeah i am like i'm in this situation i highly recommend going and checking that episode out uh it's number eight but like the short like the the conclusion here is just that like cheating is bad juju it's super valuable to have those hard conversations with your partner or partners when you you know when you need to ask for what you need or want and you want to do it in like a fair and ethical way ultimately having those really difficult conversations is going to allow you to live your life free and to be like your own beautiful, authentic, powerful self. Um, and that's going to do the least amount of damage to you and to your partner in the long term, even if it doesn't feel that way in the moment. So that's my, that's my, my soapbox speech for the evening. Stephen, do you have something you want to say? Yeah, I do actually. So, um, I, I, I agree with you on, you know, uh, ethical and, unethical non-monogamy and cheating and cheating is bad. Okay. However, I want to sort of put a caveat and this is, I guess my own opinion, but, um, cheating is pretty damn normal too. You know, it's, I don't know that we, anybody knows what the numbers are, but I think it's gotta be 50% of populations do it long time ago. Um, my first marriage, I remember my my ex-wife making some comment about like, you know, very few women cheat and all these men cheat. And I remember doing the math and being like, that can't 
actually be true. Like it just, you know, you <laughs> couldn't have like to say 50% of the male population cheats and 10% of the women, female population cheats with each other. And because of those, you know, that, that 10%. What if there's just a lot of gay men cheating? No. Well, I know. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> I agree with you. And I realize that when I'm sitting there talking, but I'm going to take that out for just a second. Okay. But just like, you know, if you have the, if you run in numbers and it's like 50% of this population is getting the other with 10% of this population, that 10% is really damn busy, man. Cause they have to have like five partners each, right? So <laughs> it's exhausting, Steven. It's exhausting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so I really suspect, can't prove it, but I suspect like that the numbers with, you know, male, female, and cheating and things like that, they have to be pretty close. You know, I think maybe women are better at hiding it, don't get caught or don't admit it as much or something like that. But anyway, but I do think cheating happens a lot. And I also feel personally like cheating happens for different reasons. And I think from talking to my therapist years ago, um, there was like maybe two things, like some people like get the excitement off of cheating, you know, they like it for that reason. But I think most people, that's not the case. And if they're, if they are cheating on a partner, there's other things involved that are causing that. Um, and so so I've tended, you know, to try to not be real judgmental about people who are cheating, because I always feel like there's more there than what we know. There's more there than what they like tell you or share. And, you know, you don't know how the other person is. You don't know what their struggle is. Um, so I, I really tend to try to be pretty non-judgmental about it. And if, if, if somebody says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, I'm here at our community center or whatever, but, you know, my spouse doesn't know about it. Often that's because like, it may not be totally safe for them to go tell their spouse, you know, and that gets into a big complicated thing. That said, I do agree with you, Ava. I think the easiest thing to do, even though it's really hard, is to like talk to your partners, you know, and kind of, I'm going to say, come out and tell them all that hard shit so that you can be free. That is a huge weight off of your shoulders. And so like people who cheat, I don't think it's fun. You know, I think that they're like feeling a lot of pressure. There's a lot of either guilt, like I'm a bad person or, or shame, or like, I just don't want to get caught and you know, that kind of stuff. So I really think people are not going to cheat unless there's a reason for it. Um, and sometimes it's like, it's like the easy way out sort of thing. Like, well, you know, I don't want to have that conversation. I'm really scared about that conversation. I'm scared of how that might affect the kids having that conversation, you know? And so it's like, well, I'll just go cheat. That's the easy thing to do. It's, it's, it's usually not a good long-term strategy. You know, things think bad stuff usually happens when you do it. So I would, like you're saying, Ava, I would encourage people not to do it, but I also think it's very common and we're not shaming you if you yeah have done it, are doing it like, yeah, I just kind of have a hard time being like, you know, this person cheated, they're a bad person. I, I don't think that. I think it's usually that they were in a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. Like human beings are complex motherfuckers in the first place, right? Like we are complicated. There are a lot of layers and there's a lot going on in our lives. And for anyone that's been in that situation before, I'll raise my hand. Like I've cheated in the past. Like that's that's happened. That's been a thing. And it's not something that I'm proud of. But I think back to that that part of my life and I think like, wow, yeah, that was a really complicated situation to be in and it was a really difficult and painful time and it wasn't fun mm-hmm. and there was a lot of mixed feelings and a lot of just complicated things to try to deal with and, and weigh out and figure out what do I do to, that, that's going to be best for me, right? What do I do that's going to be best for us? 
what do I do that's going to be the least harmful to everybody? And it's not an easy situation to be in. All that to say, I, again, still don't support cheating by any means. Like I would never like stand up and say that I am, I am proud to say that I have cheated in the past. Like it's not something that I want to repeat. Um, but yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, Stephen. Like it's not a matter of like you are a lesser human being if you have done this or are doing this. It's just a complicated situation to be in. And we want to point you in a direction that's going to, in the long run, like make your life as, as awesome and amazing as it can be. I, I think that's why we're doing this episode tonight is sort of like in saying um, some respects, like, you know, instead of cheating, there are other things you can do, other conversations you can have, other relationship structures, you can set it up. And that I think we're proposing that these are better, better options. Absolutely. Pick the stuff that's right for you. That's a good fit, but better. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get to the, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff. Um, we talked about monogamy and we talked about unethical non-monogamy. Uh, let's talk about ethical non-monogamy, uh, which I will also refer to as ENM. Um, so I'll use those two terms kind of interchangeably. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start by throwing this question out to you guys. Like after like establishing what unethical non-monogamy looks like, how would you describe ethical non-monogamy? Like what's the difference? It's a relationship where um, it's consent-based and knowledge-driven and everyone that is participating is comfortable. It's such a technical answer. I love it. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> Randy's got a lot. You can tell, though, that answer is like she's thought about this a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to follow that? <laughs> Cool. Okay. I was okay. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So in, in my, my handy dandy notes here, so ethical non-monogamy or ENM is the practice of having ethical relationships with more than one person. And I love that Brandy really broke down kind of like the ethical piece of that in that like it's knowledge driven, everyone's aware of what's going on. Um, the, the keyword for me when it comes to ENM is the ethical piece. It's, it's, you know, the practice of having an ethical relationship with another human being where both humans are on the same page and completely aware of the relationship expectations, the boundaries, um, obligations, et cetera. Like everyone, everyone consents to it. You know, if I'm going to have other partners, whether they're romantic partners uh, or sexual partners or anything else, anything under the sun, like my current partner is aware of what's going on and is cool with it and vice versa. Um, so consent is really the biggest difference between ethical non-monogamy and unethical non-monogamy or cheating. Um, if you're not communicating with your partner and respecting each other's boundaries, if you are, you know, dating, falling in love with, or even just sleeping with someone like behind your partner's back uh, one time or many times, that's not consensual and it's cheating. Uh, the name of the game here is going to be communication. Um, again, being straightforward about asking for what you want or need and standing up for those things and making sure that, you know, you and your partner are on the same page. Um, so that in a nutshell is what ethical non-monogamy is. Stephen, I see you wanted to say something. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just wondering, are you going to address either now or later people who question and say like, yeah, but you know, if, like open relationships and having more than one part, like that doesn't really work like long-term. You know, that's a great question. I did not have that built into my conversation for this evening. We can talk about that now, or we can talk about that at the end after we talk about some of the different E&M types of relationships. I, I think let's, let's do it at the end. Yeah. Okay. I because like that. that way I think it might be good because you're going to go through different options. And then mm -hmm. I think, um, some of it, I, my feeling is like, 
my experience was I learned a lot about this from books and podcasts and things like that. And, you know, I was married at the time. And so it was like sort of like having the book knowledge of it, but I didn't have any practical real world experience of like seeing people actually do it until after, you know, being divorced and coming out to to the club and uh, the community center and, and then being exposed to it. And then you see it and then the short answer I'm going to say is just like, then it was like so easy seeing like, Oh, it's not a big deal. And it was very different, but let's, let's talk about the different styles and then maybe we'll come back to this at, at the end about. Perfect. Okay. What, Don't what, let me forget. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so before we talk about the different styles, I want to talk about what I refer to as the ethical non-monogamy spectrum. Uh, because all types of E&M relationships are going to fall on some kind of spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have what is referred to as swinging, um, the practice of having multiple sexual relationships or enjoying sexual activity with someone other than your spouse or partner. Your partner. Um, so, so swinging, the one side of the spectrum is mostly focused around like sexual connections, not necessarily romantic connections. The opposite side of that spectrum is polyamory, the practice of having multiple romantic relationships, not necessarily sexual ones. And then everything in between those two polar opposites is considered an open relationship. Um, and there are many different styles of open relationships out there. So anything in between that kind of blends the two is in that open relationship um, category. Um, who wants to talk about swinging? Steven, what comes to mind for you when you think of the word swinging? Well, I don't have a ton of experience with swinging and swingers. Okay. But my feeling is like a swingers often it's like, you're, you know, like say Kimberly and I we're married, right? So we might go to a place, you could either go to a club or you could meet people online or whatever. Okay. And you're finding another married couple and you're going to do, I know like there's the soft swap, like Kimberly's allowed to go in there and she can make out and she can, you know, I don't know, be felt up and all this other stuff, but there's a line where you draw on, okay, the soft swap. And then you have the hard swap where it's like, oh, we're going to do the whole thing. We're going to swap partners. So when I think of swinging, I feel like this is my, my thoughts again, just that there are certain rules, you know, you have like, we're the married couple and we have certain rules that are there to protect the married relationship. And so you're allowed to go do your thing, but we have these certain rules. And I feel like that's separate later when you talk about some of the other styles, the way the rules work change for the different groups. So swingers to me are like, your rules are like, we're a married couple, they're a married couple, we just do a swap. And like you, you just used the word numerous times, Stephen, it is very couple centric. Yeah. Um, swinging yeah. to be the, the groups I've looked into. Yeah. Absolutely. That definitely very much matches what my initial understanding of swinging was like, I didn't have a lot of experience with it uh, initially either. Um, and I do want to point out that it doesn't necessarily have to be couple centric. Like it can be a matter of like a couple finding another, like one person instead of another couple to, you know, arrange some kind of like sexual activity with in some way. Um, swinging can definitely look like, um, you know, like wife swapping or couple swapping. Um, it can definitely look like key parties. It can definitely look like sex clubs. It can definitely look like orgies. Like it can look like all of those things. Um, but I, what I do want to point out is that swinging isn't necessarily only sexual activity alone. Like a lot of, a lot of folks that I've met in the swinging community 
um, will have, you know, these, these hookups, this like sexual activity that they've arranged with, with other people. And they might consider these other people friends or even like their chosen family, um, because even though they're not romantically committed to each other over time, you kind of like develop a really strong relationship with these people, even if it's just a sexual relationship. Right. And that can develop a lot of camaraderie in like other areas of your life to the point where you're really close with these people, even though you may not think of them in a romantic way. Right. So like that, there's room for that in, in the swinging world too. Um, and I would also say like the flip side of that, like with polyamory, there's room for that as well. Like I have considered myself a polyamorous individual for a very, very long time. But like, as I've shared in previous episodes, like I have great sexy fun with other people all the time in non-romantic relationships. Like that's a thing that I do, even though I consider myself a polyamorous individual. Most of my relationships are romantically based, but not all of them. Some of them lack romance completely. completely? And that's okay. Completely? Yes. yes. Okay. Sometimes, I, sometimes I just want a really good fucking and that's okay. Yeah, I'll throw this out there. Like for myself, I feel like if I'm, you know, just going to sleep with somebody, I'm still going to have some sort of quote relationship, like we were saying in the beginning with them. And especially if I sleep with them multiple times, it would be, I, this may just be me. It's like, I could not like turn it off and not have any kind of connection with them. I would feel a connection with them of some sort. So. Aww. I know, <laughs> I know. So it may not be total like I want to be married to this person or I want to date this person, but it, there it would be a there would be a reason why for me personally there'd be a reason why I'm there with this person. Do you know I like them enough to actually want to spend time with them, be with them, have that kind of connection and stuff. So I have a hard time in my head just grasping like how can somebody like you know, go have sex or have a sexual partner and be like, well, I just turn off the, like, I like you part and I just really don't care. And you know, you're just a cock or a pussy to me. And I know it's not really that. I think sometimes it's talked about like it's that. And I think, no, there is, there is some connection. And maybe what I want to say is, but those rules are in place so that it's to limit that connection, not to go past that certain magical line of, of, you know, you can fuck the person, but you can't fall in love with them. Like that's illegal. Like that's what <laughs> it's illegal. We'll put you in monopoly jail. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, okay. we're not even gonna. Okay, excellent. Um, so I I say all of this just to point out that like ethically non-monogamous relationships have a lot of gray area, as we've kind of discovered. Like, there's a lot of different ways to do it, whether you're on the swinging side or the polyamorous side. Um, and while the the label of swinging does represent like primarily sexual non-monogamy um it is also not necessarily limited to only sexual non-monogamy um so like i say all of that just to say like make the labels work for you not you working for the labels like pick the stuff that works and makes sense for you and your identity and leave the rest on the table and don't worry about it we talk a lot about labels in in ethical seduction i feel like and i think we just keep keep coming back to like labels can be a really useful tool but they're, they're not necessarily the end all be all. So don't let them put you in a box, but use them in the way that makes sense for your life. I guess we didn't talk a ton about polyamory. Like, does anybody want to talk about like what polyamory means to you? Like what, what comes to mind when you think of the word polyamory? Brandy, you go first. Um, I think my term is probably a little bit different uh, based on the way Ava described things, but I, from me personally, it's me being open to the idea of having a relationship with more than one person. Um, now I can have a relationship with one person and that be romantic and sexually driven and then have others like, let's say secondaries that are primarily sexual 
Um, but to me, the ability of there to be feelings that happen makes me feel like I fall within the polyamory world more so than the open relationship world. Yeah. And that makes total sense. I, I actually would say that I probably fall somewhere very similar to you, Brandy, in that I've always, I've for a very long time considered myself a poly person, right? Mm -hmm. But I, you know, and I very much want to want to find love in all corners of the universe. Um, but I find myself going on a lot of like sexual adventures and being open to that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic. Right. Yeah. yeah. For for myself, um, you know, again, I kind of learned a lot about like poly and open relationships, but it was more, I learned more about poly, um, like I said, from some books and some podcasts, and things like that, you know, the, the book smarts kind of way first before practicing anything. Okay. So, and then even like Kimberly and I have had discussions of like, well, what is open and what does poly mean to you? And and to each, each of us. And sometimes we're into like, it is this gray area and we're like, well, we know we're kind of like on this, we're on the same page or we're very close on the same page, but we kind of sometimes like different terms. But I'll, I'll say this, like for Polly, for me, um, I feel like it is an attitude for, this is my own personal opinion. It's an attitude for me of like how I want to treat other people because polyamory a lot of the stuff if you listen to it and learn about it and whatever it's often it's not just so much about like having a romantic relationship it's very much often like how do you have good relationships and there's these basic rules so even if you're in a monogamous relationship you can use a lot of the stuff that people in poly like tonight that we're talking about a lot of that stuff applies to like any relationships that you're putting in there so i really think of it as like how do you treat other people well and and talk about real things so to me the poly is sort of like how how am i going to treat kimberly you know that i personally am like i don't want to ever put like boundaries and limitations and tell her you're not allowed to go do such and such with this person because usually that doesn't help you know if she wants to go sleep with somebody me being like you're not allowed to doesn't that doesn't mean all of a sudden now she doesn't want to you know, so, um, so I feel like it's a, it's a way of like interacting with people, but I, I take it, I just treat it personally, like Kimberly or other people can have their own opinions and they might treat me one way, but it's like, how do I want to treat other people and interact with other people? That's what I tend to think of as like polyamory, or that's what I have like learned from polyamory. So I think of it almost as like a philosophy about how you deal with others and interact with others. I don't think that's the traditional sense though. It doesn't have to be. That's that's the thing about a lot of these relationship styles and a lot of like the kink or like BDSM comment, uh, concepts that come up in our conversations is that you get to take what works for you with these things. You get to to make a version of your life that works best for you, right? Um, so like if Polly means something a little different to you, Stephen, than it does to Brandy or to Kimberly, like that's totally fair. We get to make these lifestyles work for us and take what works for us, and that's and that's totally okay. Um, oh, and and also something that you said in there really stuck with me, Stephen. It reminded me of the concept that we don't own the people that we are in a committed relationship with, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a concept that isn't very, very obvious uh, in sort of the monogamous realm of the world. And it's a concept that is very much um, acknowledged in the world of polyamory or just ethical non-monogamy in general of, you know, just because we're together doesn't mean that I have any ownership of you. Like, I don't get to decide what you can and cannot do. I can tell you what I'm comfortable with. I can tell you what I would like or what I prefer. 
but I, I don't own you and I don't control you. And, and I don't want to hopefully is also the attitude, right? That the, the person that you love for that you love and care for is free and, and able to flourish and go and live their life to the best of their ability. And they're allowed to have other outlets in their lives besides you. Um, and you can still be the super special person to them without, without making them feel like, you know, they owe you their entire lives. Yeah, but I tell you, it is a problem. Like Kimberly really loves her dog probably more than me. And I, that is a problem. And we've had this since day one. And I've tried to like beat him out and do all the things. I've done all the alpha male things. And it just pisses me off that. But yeah. you knew that day one going in. Yeah, but it. I thought I could change it. I thought yeah. I could change it. Mm. <laughs> That's right, Brandy. The ums from the girls in the. <laughs> I thought I could change him. That sounds yeah. that sounds like a whole new episode. Topic yeah, to me. I thought I could. Right. I could fix. I could fix the situation. I would come in, you know, and oh my god, I have to tell you this. Okay, total side thing. <laughs> okay, so I'm on Pinterest. Pinterest is fucking weird, but I love it. It's, it's both. Okay. And Pinterest has me as like the weirdest person. It's so not me. Okay. But anyway, so they had on there, it was like, you know, the, do these five things to become like a, you know, true alpha male. That's the, I, and I'm like, I have to click on it. Okay. And it was like, they were so goofy. And so like, one of the tips was like, you have to come in and like, be willing to fix things for her save her and be good with your hands. That was one tip. And I thought, what the fuck? Be good with your hands. How is that? Like, first off, you don't need to fix anybody. Like that's bad advice. Okay. And then it was like, fix it, save the person again, bad advice. And then good with your hands. I was like, why is good with your hands even mixed I in with that? I do agree like, with the last one though. <laughs> 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 okay so the last one makes sense okay yeah but anyway i i kind of get like a perverted kick out of reading these things because they are they're really bad advice you know and, and i think that's one reason why we're doing ethical seduction too is because there is a lot of like bullshit out there but anyway i just saw that and it, but it is like that is like typical guy mentality like oh i'll just come in and i'll you know and i'm gonna say i suffer from this at times, hopefully not too much, but like, I'm just going to come in, fix the situation, save the situation. I'm going to make Kimberly better. Oh, don't worry, baby. I'll just take care of you. And of course that's horrible advice. Don't mm -hmm. do it. Let the mm -hmm. person do their thing. It's like telling someone to calm down. Don't do it. <laughs> not ever gonna, never gonna help them calm down. Have you done that before? You sound like you're talking like you've done, or have people told it? They, oh, that's mm, what it is. People mm. told you, Brandy, Brandy, just calm down. What no, actually, honestly, I actually get the opposite because I get really logical and emotionless because I get in like survival mode. I'm like, okay, how do I fix this? How do we remedy this? Oh, this is like your nurse skills. And they're, yeah, exactly. Oh, we're, we're Okay, I got and you. They're, and they're like, you act like you don't care. And I'm like, I do care. This is me caring because I'm standing here continuing this. But anyway. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Oh, man. I, man, I want to, I really want to record you sometime. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that, but I really want to like be the fly on the wall and hear Brandy in a fight. Oh, yeah. It's great. I always win. You would be really scary, Brandy. I mean, I don't try to be because I'm a very logical, rational person, and that can come off as like if I'm scary. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, rash. <laughs> yeah, rational people are scary. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> okay, 
Okay, let's let's talk about um, some different types of relationships that fall on the ENM spectrum. We talked about the categories, right? Swinging on one side, polyamory on the other side, and open relationships kind of in the middle. Um, and like speaking from my own experience, I, I've mentioned this already. Like I have always considered myself, well, it, for a very long time now, considered myself a polyamorous individual. Um, but I've also been known to enjoy like casual sex with casual partners, right? This is probably more like in the friends with benefits type category. Um, that I mean, technically puts me somewhere in like the open relationship part of the ENM spectrum. And I'm okay with that. I still call myself a polyamorous person predominantly because I mean, Stephen, like you were saying, like it's really more of like a philosophy or like a way of life, like the way that you live your life. Um, but I have had relationships that fall more in that open relationship category. Um, so some of the other different types of open relationships out there that probably fall closer to the poly side of things, which is kind of where I live, might look like solo poly which is like where you date like multiple people, but you do not have a primary partner, or maybe you consider yourself to be your primary partner, raising my hand here, that's definitely, that definitely resonates with me. Um, there's also the concept of family poly, um, which I also have had experience with. So a household where multiple partners are all supporting one another, um, supporting the overall household together, and often, not always, but often involving co-parenting um, and raising a child or children together. So that's another, way that that polyamory can look um there's also hierarchical polyamory which brandy i don't know if you want to talk about this one i think you referenced it earlier like having a primary partner and then having secondary or tertiary partners as well do you want to talk about that one at all in terms of the way it uh, i have it set up for me personally or what do you mean just, yeah, just like how what it, it is and how it works for so, you so for me personally like I don't have enough bandwidth to maintain two primary relationships um, individually successfully. So the what works best for me is I have one primary, which is a priority for me. Like we, if we are scheduled to see each other, I will not shift that schedule to see another partner. Um, and my my other secondary dynamics and schedules are made around my agreement with my my primary so there is a little bit of a hierarchy of um what rules there I guess in terms of making my primary a priority and then when it comes to my secondaries um those I just kind of fit in based on schedules there's not I mean sure if we've scheduled something and it gets canceled we're both understandably disappointed but there's not enough weight or significance put in those situations to be upset or warrant any emotional outburst or deep conversation regarding a cancellation. Totally. So, and I think I mean. a good a good call out with that sort of style of polyamory looks like, you know, maybe not every relationship is equal. It's not set up that way, but hopefully all of your relationships have equity, right? Like the other secondary partners that you have are not looking for a full-time relationship, right? They don't need that. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I go into every relationship um, saying, this is where I'm at. This is what I can offer. If I can only offer a secondary type situation, it's like, Hey, this is the amount of time I can devote to you potentially and how often, and you need to be okay with that. Um, one of my strongest secondaries lives here locally in town and we have a great dynamic, but we don't connect every day. Um, we don't speak often. Um, but like the three days leading up to when we're going to meet, we're, we're talking a lot. And then we just really 
completely connect for the day or two that we're together. And that was great. And we're, you know, we focus on that time and then we go when we live our life and come back together in a couple more months. Like it's just whatever you agree to that everyone's okay with. So Brandy, just wondering, um, so with your dynamics, is it more like time oriented, like based around schedules and time versus like you are less connected emotionally to secondaries than you are a primary does that make sense um yeah so when it comes to secondaries that's just all schedule based but um like of course COVID has changed this a lot but my secondary that lived locally previous to COVID we were committed to seeing each other twice a month and one one night would be we would do like a social activity um in public and then the other night we would stay inside and together um and then the other secondary that i did have we would see each other like maybe once a month every six weeks and then after like one you know if we had went like four weeks we were like really wanting to like make it work and find our schedules that match up does that answer your question? Um, well, I was just was wondering, your... like, therefore, since you're spending less time with these people, are you also less emotionally connected to them than you are your primary? I think, yeah, absolutely. But that's because I've chosen to do that. Right. Um, no, I was just wondering. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just but, show, I don't think, like... but I don't think it's necessarily for me based on because I spend less time with the secondary means I'm less connected. It's because I've chosen to know mm-hmm. enough to say all I have is the space and energy for this that I can give you. Like I can't get connected to you because then that will deprive my other relationship that okay. I'm not, a, and I'm not okay with that. Right. So there's potential for that to happen. Sure. If I probably allowed it, but I just have certain rules in place so it doesn't happen. Okay. And if I'm, and I have had a secondary before where we, started to teeter towards that like this is getting too serious and we took a hard stop break for like almost a year and just had a total reset and then kind of naturally came back together and and now we're pure secondary and it works great Hmm. so that's awesome i love that that worked out for you yeah um can i ask something (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i thought that i had okay so just listening to that um this is again kind of theory okay but i feel like uh, one, when you meet somebody, general rule is like, you don't want to force the relationship into any kind of one thing. So therefore, like even down the road, you're having a certain relationship. Relationships can be fluid and they can change. And so you can have like this person, you know, is more say on the sidelines at first, but it can develop into something more or the opposite. You know, it's like, oh, we used to be closer and then we're just not as close right now. And I think as a goal, it's like you want to try to do what fits well. You know, and so allow that the relation, like I would say, don't be so strict on the rules and even the time frames. It's been a while since I've, I've had to do this, but I do remember wrestling with the time frames of like trying to treat two people equal and then having to be like, that's not how I feel inside. Like it wasn't like, you know, I mean, this was like with Kimberly. It was like I wanted to spend more time with Kimberly. And, and that was kind of hard to kind of realize and then be like, by by trying to split it equal, I was not really being fair and honest with myself. Mm-hmm. But Stephen, you and I also disagree on this because you do not like rules, nor are you a proponent of them. And for me to maintain healthy 
boundaries and um, balance, I almost need rules. Yeah, no, yeah. I get that. But I also, when you're talking about them, I also know you're doing it from experience. So you're sitting there saying, uh, I've gone through some of this too, okay? You're like, I only have so much time. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm giving right now a certain amount of time to my primary partner, okay? So if you, Mr. Mrs. Secondary, come along and I try to give you time, if I tell you I can do this, I really can't do it. And so it ends up being like leading the person on or whatever. And I, so what I hear you sort of saying is like, you're, you know, your own time and your own limitations and what you want to give. And therefore you're controlling it. You're trying to, you're trying to manage expectations to a certain amount. You're trying sure. to tell them, you know, so that's where I see like the way you're talking about it, know you. So mm -hmm. it's like, you're doing it from experience. And so yeah. your rules okay. are, yeah, I don't, almost don't want to say their rules. I feel like you're coming at it like from experience saying like, I can't really give you this, you know, like, right. this, you know, versus um, going into it with just a set of rules and being brand new to it and, and not being willing to flex. Is, is yeah. 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 That yeah. Makes sense. Well, I, I feel it. like the rules come from like different spaces. So like when Steve's talking about he doesn't like rules, he doesn't like rules be if they're like rooted in a jealousy. Whereas mm. Brandy, your rules don't have anything to do with jealousy. They're coming from a whole different place. Right. right, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes like we're going to say the married couple. I mean, that is like, okay, we know we have to stay married. We have to stay together. Yes, you can be go see other people, but um don't cross lines don't fall in love with them right so then they make up a few rules to keep their marriage safe and intact and i think those rules are actually dangerous and problematic because like they're not needed until the day when somebody wants to break that rule you know and all of a sudden then you have an issue okay because somebody wants to break that rule right they want to you know whatever do more with this person okay so now so what's going on then is really they should go back and they need to go talk to their spouse or their primary partner and have a discussion. Okay. My feeling is like, you need to have a discussion. You don't necessarily need to have a rule in place because the rule, if it's like unbendable and it's like, like, God damn it, you're not going to change because we have a rule in place like mm. that. Is gonna, you're going to, that's not going to go well for whoever's making right. If the rule is your safety net and your only yeah. safety net, that's not going to work out or be the best right. where I have to go. That makes sense. Right. I think we could spend a lot of time talking about some of the um, habits that people that are new to exploring polyamory sometimes adopt, which I think is what we're kind of just talking about right now, like setting these unnecessary rules in place. Or I think like another obvious example would be like the expectation of veto power or like some of those types of habits, um, how they might they might seem like really good ideas at first, but they tend not to end well. Um, I would I would love, Stephen, I don't know if you want to make a note of that. I would love to spend um, an episode talking about that at some point down the road, because there are so many different things we could talk about, about like healthy habits to set you up for success in your polyamorous relationships. And the ones that may seem like a good idea at the time, but they actually end up holding you back when it comes to times of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Something about like rules and boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is I, I feel like kind of like the overarching theme here is to acknowledge that, you know, in, in the lifestyle of polyamory, you know, we acknowledge that love is limitless. Like you do not have a specific quantity of love that you can give out to people, but you do have a specific quantity of time and energy and money um, that you can that you can 
uh, devote to a number of relationships, right? So like love is an infinite resource, but everything that goes into having a serious relationship with another human being, that is very much limited. And I think Brandy, what you were pointing out is that, you know, this is what I have to offer. This is, these are the limited resources and how much I can provide to you. Um, and that's not, that's not coming from a place of insecurity or jealousy. That's just coming from a place of, I want to set our relationship up for success and make sure that it works for both of us, mm -hmm. make sure it's designed for success for both of us. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that person is also looking for similar, um, equity, looking for a similar amount of resources to go into the relationship. And they're not settling for, for less because that's all that they can get. Right. That's the hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, we talked about that one for a while. I wanted to introduce uh, kind of the flip side of the coin, as I think of it, to hierarchical polyamory, which I consider, this is my opinion, this is not like a fact, I'm totally pulling this out of a hat right now. Um, I consider kind of the opposite of hierarchical polyamory to be relationship anarchy. Have you guys heard that term before? Is anyone familiar with it? No, but I like it. What is it? <laughs> of course you do. So um, relationship anarchy is the concept that no single relationship is worth more than another. And I'm talking about like no romantic or sexual relationship is worth more than say a platonic style of relationship. So you can have friends that you're super, super close with that you're platonic with, that that's all you guys are ever going to be are platonic friends, but they can be very near and dear to your heart. And then, you know, you start dating someone and you have like a romantic or a sexual relationship with them and they're very important to you. But there's also this person that's been a platonic fixture in your life for the last 20 years, like your re romantic relationship is not necessarily worth more than that platonic relationship is. So you kind of value everybody at at face value rather than, oh, this is my romantic partner. They they are going to be the top priority in my life. Um, so it's very much kind of like the opposite concept of hierarchical polyamory. I don't have a ton of experience with it, but I like the concept of it. So I just thought I would kind of introduce that here. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because, yeah, it would be I'm going to say in your example, it would be I want to use the word wrong. It sounds so dirty. It would be wrong <laughs> to, to be like, well, I'm with my new romantic partner. So therefore, like my friends of, you know, childhood friends of 20 years or whatever, like you guys have to come second, you know, or like I can't go out with you guys because I'm now in a relationship like that would not that just does not sound healthy to me. So yeah, I think that that's, I have not heard that term, but I like it. It would be wrong for me to love Steve more than I love my dog, Jess. <laughs> Kimberly. <laughs> Great example, Kimberly. Oh, it was <laughs> Jasper was there before you, Steven. That's what never... I tell him like a long time because he's 15. I know. So there you go. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, are there other relationship styles on the E&M spectrum that y'all have experience with or, or can speak to? Anything else that y'all want to bring up? Um, in the past, I've identified more as wanting to participate in open style relationships just because I feel like I'm the type of person who will like only really be like emotionally connected to like one person at a time. But then I want like different sexual partners um so and i've kind of changed because of course like years ago then i was completely monogamous and now i identify more as monogamish which you hear kind of thrown 
around a lot but I think it's like that is different for everyone like kind of all of this is um so like really I will do BDSM play in scenes with people um other than Steve but I don't really have sex or romantic relationships with anyone else currently I feel like that's really common to see in um, in our local community, like at the kink mm-hmm. club. I feel like I see a lot of folks that consider themselves monogamous, except when it comes to kinky or like BDSM specific right. type play. Yeah. So then I, I just say it's monogamish. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another concept that I was hoping we could talk about briefly is kitchen table poly. Is anyone familiar with that one? Does anyone want to speak to that one? So when the whole group like is having sex on the kitchen table that better be a sturdy table <laughs> no no they're not it's not sex it's making love because it's about oh, romance right that's right so everybody's <laughs> on the kitchen table in a cuddle pile oh uh, <laughs> you lost me that that actually sounds really great for me um <laughs> no so okay so kitchen table poly is the the idea this like theoretical idea that you have a a well-established like rapport and relationship with everyone involved in your polyfuel. So in theory, you could sit down and have coffee or breakfast at the kitchen table in the morning with your partner's partner after your partner spent the night with your partner's partner. Oh, that sounded really what? confusing. <laughs> that sounds so great. Right? So like you may not be besties with your, your metamor, which is your partner's partner, um, but you have a good enough relationship with him that you wouldn't mind sitting down to, you know, have Compersion, coffee with them. a whole yes. episode. Oh. I like that because that feels like there's a certain, I almost want to say a level of achievement of like everybody's worked together well enough that this, we're all comfortable mm-hmm. enough to do this. Yeah. And yes. and that is like, that's, that's cool. You know, that's not to be blown off or just taken lightly. That's, that's a good mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. That's like that's a whole, I think that's a whole different level. Yeah, that's a like an great, award. wonderful level up. Yeah. Poly award goes to <laughs> right. the guy with the oh, big thick beard. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell my guy that you said that. He's going to laugh. So Ava, um, do you feel like these relationship styles can be for some people um, kind of like an identity, kind of like an orientation? That is such a good question, Kimberly. Uh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Mostly because that's (laughs) how I feel like polyamory is Mm -hmm. part of my identity. Um, Mm. I I was actually, I was telling my partner a story earlier today. Uh, My dad posted a picture on social media of me at my uh, like first communion class picture because I went to Catholic school as a child. Imagine that. Um, And I was pointing out all the other kids in the class. I'm like, oh, yes. And this is Spencer. He was my first boyfriend. I shared him with my best friend, Morgan. I'm like, oh. I was polyamorous when I was seven years old. Before you even knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I definitely think it's an identity thing for for a lot of people. Um, It isn't for everybody, though. Like, I've I've spoken with folks in the the polyamory community that feel that it's just, it's a lifestyle. It's something that I choose. It's something that works better for me. It's something that I enjoy more. And I think that's valid also. But that isn't necessarily the case for all of us. I don't think that I could ever... Um, authentically say that I would go back to monogamy. Like I would never choose to go back to monogamy. Yeah, same. Yeah, and we should add all this talk. It's like we're nobody's knocking monogamy. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's oh no, like, not, yeah. Mean, that's where it's some like some days where I'm like, gosh, that would probably be so much easier if I could be <laughs> that way. Honestly, 
Just so much less work and so communication much, yeah, and coordination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you that this is funny to say on this podcast that I'm like, oh, we're talking about relationships for like half of our podcast, like all of them. But I hate dating. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, why do I want to go find multiple people when I don't even like dating? Yeah, really? the process of, yeah. Yeah. Brandy's My face. Issue, I understand. Well, okay. I, like, I, I don't like dating either. It's a chore. But like what you want is like you want to achieve the the treat of successful dating of, oh, I have a connection with this person and we can do the things that I want. Like I don't, I don't want to go through like the race of dating. I want to get to the finish line where I have a person that I can have this relationship with. Not a race. It's really meaningful to me. No, it's not a race. We're going to say that this is going to be like, another episode right here. Okay. Like what the hell is dating? It's not, dating is not a race. You're going to go hang out with this person. Dating. I really think dating is more of like a, in some respects, a process, but you shouldn't have an end. It shouldn't be okay, like, Steven, you are so much day. more the, what's that phrase? It's about cool. the journey, not the destination. I'm like, no, I'm the destination girl. Get yeah, me there. I, I don't yeah, care you, about the journey. Kimberly, yeah. You guys, because I've noticed this with sex, you guys are both like, I just like, forget the yeah. foreplay. I just want the orgasm. I do. And I'm like, you guys are like, I'm going to say messed up. Okay. It's like, no, you're missing no. some of the best parts. I think Steven is <laughs> oh, judgment. Yeah, wow. I, no, but I feel like you're sometimes so focused on the end result. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing the journey. Right. And I just think like, I know you both, y'all like the journey, but you just think you're just like, Oh, I know my favorite part is the end. Okay. You know? So I will say I am getting better in that. If I know the end destination is going to happen, I am better with the journey to get there. But if I'm like, is this just the tease? Is this just like, and you're going to like, I'm not into that. But if I knew like if I was good and participated <laughs> actively in this journey that I would meet my destination, that I would be fine with that. <laughs> and that's yeah. the problem. That is the problem with dating because when you're dating somebody, you don't know how you it's going to go on that first date. Right. It might right. blow up in your face. It might be awful. You know how many bad dates that I've had? Right. I don't want to waste my time with that anymore. Right. I will right. do it if I know that it's going to work out for me, but otherwise it feels like a chore. And I agree with you, Stephen. It's not, it's not a race. I, I, I rescind that word, but it is a fucking obstacle. And sometimes that mm. obstacle course can be a pain in the ass. I'm just saying. Well, we, we will have to talk about this. Sometime. Wow, this is like, could be a whole yeah. other show. Yeah. No, it's good. I'm kind of interested because I mean, you're you know the word obstacle. I'm thinking like I wouldn't that would never come to my mind. You know, it's like you you go out on a date with somebody, okay, and you don't click. Well, that's just part of it. You know, like that you either date people or you don't date people. If you're going to date people, you're going to go out with some people that you just don't click with, and that's part of that's part of it. Okay, but I feel like for me personally. I mean, I really like people and I get I along. Gonna, I was getting ready to say that you like people. So. I do. I, I find, <laughs> I find so many people like interesting. Right. Right. So I really do enjoy that aspect. I'm people shaming so. you, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I do enjoy it. We should, we should cover this another time, you okay. know, about like, sure. I don't know, what is dating or something like that and why, why dating? There's a couple of other concepts that I wanted to kind of introduce in this conversation before we transition. Um, and so I want to kind of move forward. There is the concept of polyfidelity. Fidelity. Have you all heard about that one? I think I have, but I don't, not enough to recall it. I've heard the term though. No problem. So polyfidelity, or in my head before I knew what that word was, I always refer to it as closed polyamory. 
So it's the concept that I am in a relationship with multiple people, but it is a closed relationship. None of us are okay with our partners seeking other relationships outside of that triad or that V or whatever the polycule looks like. If I'm in a relationship in a triad, I'm dating two people and they're dating each other. The three of us are dating each other. And we decide that we want to be in a poly fidelity style relationship. That means that it's it's closed poly. Like, yes, there are multiple okay. people involved, but we are we do not consent to introducing any other new people in a romantic or sexual way. Okay. So that's the thing that people do too. Um, and that's totally fine. Like if that, if that's what works for you, awesome. Um, the other one I wanted to mention was poly effective. And the concept of poly effective is an emotionally intimate, non-sexual connection within a polycule. Um, for example, like two men, both in a sexual relationship with the same woman, um, and those two men have a kind of brother-like relationship. They're not sexually interested in each other. They're not remote, remote romantically interested in each other, um, but they do have a really positive emotional relationship with each other. They're on very good terms. That's like me so and Jasper. <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you're not being jealous of him, sure. No. So I, I don't have a ton of um, experience with polyfidelity. Um, polyaffective is, is definitely something I've experienced before, and that's always nice when I'm able to have that. Uh, but I did want to kind of just introduce that verbiage and that terminology. If there's anyone listening that is kind of new to the world of ethical non-monogamy and trying to figure out, like, what am I looking for? What's best for me? Um, I just want to make sure you're aware that like this, this world is kind of endless when it comes to options and there's new verbiage being introduced like all the mm -hmm. time. Um, and it's like, if you're like, oh, I like this part of ethical non-monogamy, but not this other part, there's probably a word for what it is that you're looking for. And hopefully some of these concepts I've introduced are, are going to be helpful in, in figuring that out on your journey. That's all. Yeah. I just want to say that I hope that this discussion was helpful and that, you know, if you're listening to this, I hope that you learned something new today. Um, also, I just wanted to say that I invite questions and feedback. If there is something that we covered today that any of any of our listeners would like to have clarified or anything that you'd like us to talk about more, um, please like let us know. We'd love to dive a little bit deeper next time if there's something that you would like us to dive deeper on. And I'll add to that. So you can either write me, Stephen, at ethicalseduction.com. So if you go to like the Ethical Seduction website and hit hit contact, you, you know, you'll get my email that way, but it's stephenethicalseduction.com. But you can also, if you go to the website, there is a button right on the homepage for leaving a voicemail. So if somebody has a question, you know, or just wants to leave us voicemail, just hit that button, just records. And if you're doing it right from your phone or whatever, it'll take you right there and you can just record something for us. But so, yeah, if you have a question about like relationships or whatever like that for, for Ava, that's a great, easy way to do it. And if we have your voice, we can use it on the show too. So that's kind of nice. Wait, did you say what the website address was? www.ethicalseduction.com. <laughs> Go there today. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that. What was it, www.ethicalseduction.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Um, I'll add, we're also on Instagram and FetLife. I've got my Pinterest page. Check out my Pinterest page. Um, if you are a first-time listener and you want to hear more for our um, of our podcast, you know, don't forget to hit subscribe. So we come out every Friday with a new one. Um, we'll go right into your inbox. Next week is going to be Kimberly leading us with feminism and seduction. Ooh. <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> I said, Kimberly, <laughs> can you do this? Can you do feminism? And she goes, I'm not sure how you do that. I said, you can do it. I want you to combine these two things because I think they connect. So, um, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. So that should be interesting. I, I think all the stuff we do is interesting and, uh, and potentially touchy. So, uh, and then, um, if, yeah, if you like us on, if you're listening to Apple, Apple does a lot with the podcast rating. So if you want to leave us, if you love us, leave us a rating. If you don't love us, that's okay. You don't need to leave us a rating. <laughs> leave us a rating anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know the other shows, the other uh, podcast apps. I don't think you can necessarily do, do ratings, but Apple definitely does care about them. So anyway, so that is. That wraps us up for today. So uh, yeah, next week, feminism and seduction. Ava, thank you. You did a great job, as always, you know, going through, you know so much stuff. So it's really, I appreciate you guiding us through. And as I'm watching Brandy nod her head on stuff like that. Like when you're doing certain terms and I'm thinking like, well, Brandy does all this stuff. She knows these things, but it's like, you know, she, she Brandy's like, no, I'm, I'm learning things. I'm writing these things down. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. Yeah. yeah. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. We will talk again next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.